So Job, again, in this book, there is a highly unusual scene in the first couple chapters where God has an audience with all the angels, including the demonic angels. The Lord asked Job, what have you been doing? He says, I'm going to, th to and fro throughout all the earth. Of course, God knows what he's doing. He's going around seeking someone to devour. And uh, he said, well, have you considered Job? Now, can you imagine that? Man, it's like, I hope God doesn't say, did you consider Steve? Uh, no, but the Lord does things like that. In his, in his providence, in his, for his purposes, and Satan says, oh yeah, I've considered Job, and you put a hedge up around him so they can't torment him and destroy his life. And the only reason he follows you is because you do that. If you remove his blessings, he'll curse you to your face. Wow, it never ceases to amaze me, the chutzpah that Satan has. He says to God, he'll curse you to your face. And so uh, the Lord, in his perfect purposes, tells Satan, okay, do what you want to do. So Satan kills all his children. Job's children destroys all his property. The next chapter, he destroys his health and says that the, um, towards the end of chapter 2, that in all this, verse 10, Job did not sin with his lips. And so, after some time, months, it was a period of months, we learned, three friends who show up and they're just convinced he must have sinned. And so, at that point, they just begin these, uh, trying to, to convince him, look, you gotta have some hidden sin, you just need to repent. In chapter 13, where we are, chapter 13, they talk, he responds to them, they talk. But in chapter 13, he says, Behold, my eyes have seen all this. My ear has understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not in fear to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. Meaning, I don't even want to talk with you guys anymore. I want to talk with God. And this is so incredibly basic, but so important. I, I can't tell you how often I speak to people who have just issues in their life, problems in their life, and they come to me for counsel, and they have not even talked to God about it yet. 
have you really, really talked to God about this yet? Well, not really. And, you know, I've done the same thing. But he says, but I would speak to the Almighty. So he, he's going to start speaking with the Lord. He says, you are forgers of lies. You are all worthless physicians. They were trying to be a physician. They were trying to be spiritual doctors. He says, oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. Remember when they showed up for seven days, they said nothing, which is quite amazing. And there should be a course in Bible college or seminary, just the name of the course should be silence, how to practice silence, because it is a gift. It's the patience of listening to people. Our flesh stirs up, we want to blurt this out and that out. And uh, they just, you have to hand it to them, seven days, wow. They were with him seven days, they were silent, they were so upset about what they saw that he was unrecognizable at that time. But man, when they broke their silence, the Bible says where there are many words, their sin is, and they began to sin with their lips. Oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. The last week we considered the Proverbs, which says, that a wise person studies how to answer. And I've been thinking a lot about that verse in this last week. I've done not enough of that in my life. Studying how to answer, meaning there's what to answer and there's how to answer. I tell you, as I said last week, how many times in my life I've said the right thing in the wrong way. And... Um, They had not studied how to answer him. Verse 6 says, Now hear my reading, um, reasoning and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? And I also mentioned this last week, but man, be careful before you say, God told me this about you. Be very careful that you do that. Consider saying, you know, I think this may be what God is doing in your life. By the way, from time to time, I do tell someone what, uh, something like that. Uh, for a couple times a year, someone will tell me, you know, God told me that I'm supposed to be dating this man. And I will say, God did not tell you that. Because I know the person, the man's not a Christian. The Bible's so clear. But it, things like that, I will tell them. God did not tell you what you're telling me right now. He did not say that. But most of the time, it's, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think 
that God said that, or I think God may be saying that. They sp- you, you speak wickedly um, for God. Will you, verse 8, will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Meaning, you think you're contending for God. You think you're an advocate for God. You think you're talking on God's behalf, but you're not. I mean, I just cannot tell you just how many people's walk with God has been shipwrecked by the sort of the hyper-charismatic church where people have received prophecies and this kind of thing that never came true. I, I remember there was one, one guy who was absolutely convinced um, th- there was a, a certain woman he was going to marry her and um, he just wouldn't let up on it really for years. He was absolutely sure. He went to a hyper-charismatic church. He went up front and they gave him a prophecy. It was like something like October. They said in the first seven days of next year in January, um, this woman will be yours. And uh, sure enough, in those first seven days, um, he got a text from the person the woman, and he was just convinced, oh, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The problem is the text had nothing to do with any of her feelings about him. And, you know, even after she went and married another person, he was still saying she didn't hear from God. And it, it, finally he came around. But, but um, you know, it it is... One of the things that I, I've told people like this, and I've heard this kind of thing often, is there's one, you, you know, you've said many signs and many things about um, that this person is supposed to be yours, but there's one, one thing God hasn't done. He hasn't spoken to the other person. I mean, why would he not do that? But I really did do feel it affected this person's walk with the Lord because someone lied to him. It was not true. And it happens so often in, in many circles in this country. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's, a, it's appealing to the flesh. It's always some wonderful, great thing that's going to happen and it's a, appealing uh, to, the, to the flesh. And... Um, Again, it says at the ven, um, it says um, at the end of verse seven, "Will you talk deceitfully for the Lord? You be very careful for that." At the same time, I do feel like it's important, for particularly at our communion meetings, if you feel like the Lord has told you something about someone, do not hesitate. If you feel like the Lord has told you something for the church. Don't hesitate to get up here and and say something. The Bible says very explicitly, is it 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 14? Do not despise prophecy. And that's talking not only, you know, about what I do on Sunday mornings. It's talking about those times where you really feel like the Lord has given me a word for you. Or do not despise words of knowledge and spiritual gifts. So important that we just have that balance because, unfortunately, 
in many circles, they're so terrified of the errors of the hyper-charismatic church that they don't, they basically despise prophecy. They discourage it, like don't be telling anyone anything about what you think God told them. That's not healthy either at all. We look for a balance and we seek for the Lord. Verse 9, will it be well when he searches you out or can you mock him as one mocks a man? So he says, listen, before the Lord, are you innocent in all this stuff that you are saying to me? Verse 10, he will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. So here he prophesies. By the way, does anyone know um, the first prophet in the Bible? I just found this out yesterday. Does anyone know the first prophet in the Bible? Anyone want to shout it out? Homeschooler? And now, <laughs> Moses is a good guess, but it was not Moses. Jesus says it was Abel. And he was talking to the Pharisees, and he's saying, all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah, you have killed. And so, or you have persecuted. So I, it, I don't think it specifies what Abel's uh, prophecy was, but um, uh, Job here prophetically speaks, the Lord is going to rebuke you. And oh boy, is Job... Um, Rather, is God going to be rebuking these guys? Verse 11, will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall on you? Meaning you don't have any fear of God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 19, this is like solidly in the midst of the book of Moses, which is first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy. Verse 19, it says, It shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to, to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So in the old, now granted, Deuteronomy hadn't been written yet time of the book of Job. Job's the oldest book. It was written prior to Deuteronomy, but the Lord takes super, super seriously speaking in his name when it's not true. In the Old Testament, you died. Spoke in the name of the Lord and he did not actually say it. So um, that's why at the end, Job is going to have, the Lord's going to tell Job, look, you need to make a sacrifice for these guys. He says, verse 11, don't you have any fear of God? Verse 12, your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Hold your peace means silent. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? He appears to be telling him, why would I be taking all these risks by maintaining my innocence? If it was not true, I'd be in big trouble with God. Now, there are... 
Usually verses, there's a verse in most books of the Bible that you should be memorizing. And Job has about four or five of these verses that every one of you should memorize. Verse 15, the first half, is one of those verses. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Not a hard one to memorize. You can do it. Such an important verse in the whole Bible. Yet he slay me, yet I will trust him. So, um, what this is saying is, I don't care what kind of suffering I go through, I'm going to continue to trust. When you get to this place, you have arrived. You have arrived at a blessed life. Uh, you need to maintain that. Just because you've maintained a certain place in your faith doesn't mean you can, okay, Pastor C said I arrive. I'm just going to take it easy now, not read my Bible, not pray. No, I'm not saying that. But when you can say this with confidence, you've arrived at a powerful, fruitful place in your life which will bear fruit. Jesus says, and choose me, I choose you to bear fruit, fruit that abides, that it remains. And what does he mean by that? The life of God in you will be starting to reproduce in the life of others. When you reach this place where you understand, even in the midst of suffering, God, though he slay me, I am going to trust him. And in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse Verse 10, you know, from time to time, he just has these golden nuggets that he comes up with. He says, but God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Meaning, you know, a lot of times he's speaking in despondency, but from time to time, he, he says these rich things. He, the Lord has, has spoken to him. You know, you're going to come, you're going to be like gold when you come out of it. Though he slay me, no matter what kind of uh, suffering, you need to understand Calvary Chapel. You can trust him. Because Romans 28, he works all things together for good. And trust him. Every one of you in this room, I promise you, desperately need place. It just was in a conversation last night and um, about someone who so disappointed after five years of, of of a certain you could say project they they worked on and the whole thing fell apart and they're just really really angry God and this sort of bitterness and stuff like that. You want to get to the place so everything falls apart around us this though he slay me I'm going to trust him I'm going to love him I'm going to worship him even so I will defend my ways before him he also shall be my salvation so from time to time Job has these he utters words of faith he also shall be my salvation for a hypocrite could not come before him listen carefully to my speech and to my, to my declaration with your ears see now I have prepared my case I know that I shall be 
vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. So he's saying, it would just not be healthy for me just to say nothing. I, I need to talk with God. And so he's going to start talking to God at this point. I like that. If now I hold my tongue, if I stop, if I don't talk with God, I'm done. I'm done. Calvary Chapel, please. This is a great place to be in your life when you're in a lot of trouble. If I don't talk with God now, I'm going to perish. Remember, this is this guy was the most righteous guy in the East, whatever that means like in the whole world at the time. And so there's a lot to learn from him, although he is in a different covenant, doesn't have the Spirit of God within him, but the, he, he knew the Lord in many ways. Love that. I love it, I love it, I love it. I hold my tongue. Verse 20, only two things do not now. He's speaking to God now. He's telling these guys, I'm, I, I don't want to talk with you anymore. I want to talk with God Praise the Lord for that. Only two things do not do to me, then I will not hide myself from you. So don't do these two things from me. Uh, um, rather, do these, only two things do not do to me. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not the dread of you make me afraid. So, it's a little ambiguous with the beginning of verse 21. Is he saying, don't make your hand go too far for me or is he just saying this is what I want withdraw this pain that I'm in but then he says and let me let not the dread of you make me afraid remember on Sunday morning what did we talk about the parable of the talents I just cannot bring I, I almost cannot possibly bring up that parable enough and specifically the guy who hid his talent and did not multiply it and went about doing his own thing. And the other guys entered into heaven said, and heard, entered to the joy of your Lord, but the third guy had to answer. The Bible says at the judgment, Romans 14, you are going to have to give an account for your life. And he, he gave an account for his life, like why, why did you bury your talent? And he said, because I knew you were a hard man. God said, you knew I was a hard man. In other words, who told you that? God's not. Says, yoke is easy. It's light. Many people are, they don't go to heaven. They, they, they never enter into a relationship with God because they've convinced themselves that God is a hard man. that guy was afraid he was choosing fear fear keeps people fear fear sends people to hell faith sends people with god do not let me the dread of you make me afraid that's a good prayer good fear and a bad fear a bad fear is going to make you away from God. Verse 22, then call and I will answer, or let me speak, then you, 
um, respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. And so we've already talked about this. Whenever you have trial in your life, tribulation, great suffering, it is important to ask the Lord, do I have some sin in my life? But I'm telling you, if you don't hear anything, perfectly okay to arrive at the conclusion no sin in my life no not, nothing that i'm rather that i'm holding on to and that's what he does he says well what are my iniquities verse 24 why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy and so you know he wasn't talking like this before these three guys arrived why do you regard me as an enemy but these guys have basically stirred him up into temptation. Verse 25, Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? And will you pursue dry stubble? In other words, a man who's already being afflicted, <clears throat> are you going to just torment him even more? For you write bitter things against me. Remember, he's talking to God now. And make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. Now, this is an important one. What, is, what does Romans 8.1 say? Eldon, what does Romans 8.1 say? Romans 8.1. You know it by memory. You told me last Thursday night. Okay, right there. Everyone give him a hand. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what happens from time to time when things happen in our life, we'll be thinking about some really wicked thing we did in our youth. What Job is saying here, and you make me inherit the iniquity of my youth. In Psalm 25, David says the same thing to God. Please do not remember the sins of my youth. But the blood of Jesus, though your sins are as red as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. He, those, all those sins doesn't mean they were not bad and wicked and wrong and hurt people and others. And, but as in Hebrews chapter 10, he remembers the sins no more. This is the kind of warfare that we go through in suffering. And remember, Satan's really involved here. Satan basically initiated this whole thing. And, if, and, and I, I, again, I, I, I think commentators do not speak enough about this. He's whispering lies either through these guys or directly into Job's ear. Remember that thing. Did. There's a couple things in my life the devil loves to just remind me of. Even to this day. Verse 27, You put my feet in the stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of 
by so he's talking with God now and going to switch arguments now and the argument is going to be listen man's days are hard enough why you why you make them worse because remember he he's defending his integrity and so he knows he's currently not in some particular active kind of sin and he's he's thinking of different arguments with god and um Gonna, he, it's, he's going to be off base here, but he, these are the kind of things that we think about in suffering. Verse 28, man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man, chapter 14, verse 1, who is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue and do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? In other words, it's hard enough just to live in this world. Lord, because verse 28 says, man has the sin problem. It says man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. have the sin problem and that in and of itself is such a disability why are you making things even worse Lord Steffi and I were talking about just you know, there's a lot about sexual sin in, in, in the Bible and we were talking about sexual brokenness so significant that um, in our experience of many years of discipling people and counseling and even in our own lives, someone can be completely enter into, for example, into marriage or completely pure, two virgins entering into marriage and sex is still going to mess up their minds. They don't focus on the Lord because original sin we've just it's all been twisted up in our minds so guilt will come in shame even for people who are totally pure that's why you know we read in the bible sin just twists and corrupts everything now praise the lord in christ a lot of this stuff gets untwisted Bible says that the Lord will restore what the, the locusts have eaten. My point is here he says something very profound. Man decays like a rotten thing. Just on the basis of inheriting your parents' DNA, you're messed up. I'm not talking only sexually, but because sexual, there's something about sex. It's a, it's a sin against your own body, Paul says. But that, that one in particular, but really in all areas messed up we need redemption we need the Lord the Bible says he'll take us from glory to glory 
seek him. And find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you search with me for with all your heart, and 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 we don't stop asking, seeking, and knocking the Lord to be restored. Place where God has originally intended us to be. Now we'll never. We're only going to get the glorified body at the rapture. With the second coming of Christ, but. Until then, man decays like a rotten thing. And so his point is, why are you making things even worse for us? It's hard enough. Argument that he has here. Verse 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Meaning... You know, man has it hard in this life. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes day. Meaning, would you give man a break, God? <laughs> this is this kind of the age-old argument. I don't believe in God because there's so much suffering. As if it's not man's fault. It's, it's man's fault. You, you trace back virtually all suffering. Man's fault. Sin has spread and reigned in, in, in the world. But we get into this pity party and it's like verse 6, look away God. Give man a break. Give man a break. Man serves judgment. But anyway, verse 7, for there is hope for a tree if it is cut down and um, that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease, though its roots may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As, a, as water disappeared from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise, till the heavens are no more." they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. So a couple things on this one. Well, what he's saying here is that, man, a tree, you can cut it down to its stump and it still may grow again because, you know, a little sprout may come up from the stump, but that's not so uh, with man. You know, one of the beautiful things, though, of a Christian life, I've already said it, John 15, Jesus said, you didn't. Choose me, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. And, and one of the wonderful things is after someone dies who has lived for the Lord, his life will continue to reproduce for generations and generations and generations. If you want to do a Google search, do a Google search. There was a study done of the, of the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor who lived here in Massachusetts. It's shocking. <laughs> the descendants of this guy, it just kept on going on and on and on, the wonderful dis uh, things that happened through the descendants of, of Jonathan Edwards. Um, it's not true that when you die, um, you don't, that nothing sprouts up from, uh, from it. If you have lived a fruitful life, a, a, a life obedient to the Lord, a life where you joyfully serve the Lord, Paul says that 
I don't care what I have to go through. I just want to finish my race with joy. Look at Paul's life continuing to reproduce. Anyway, just so that Jonathan Edwards, they compared his life to, I guess they found some guy who uh, was, he was, he went to jail a whole bunch of times um, in his life and they compared that life and there's just criminal, the generations of criminals. It's a very fascinating study. Someone did this. It's been criticized, but the, the criticisms is just mostly people who don't like Christians <laughs> criticize these things. But um, it's, 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 it, it was a good study of what can happen where the comparison between a life of someone who really invested in the Lord and someone who just invested in their own flesh. And just how generationally. So anyway, Job is wrong here that when a man dies, and actually at multiple Le levels says verse 12 when a man lies down and does not rise to the heavens are no more they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep why not use that as an as a uh, an excuse to talk about the rapture of the church and um uh, in first corinthians uh, chapter 15 it says that Speaking of the rapture, says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Meaning, he's using sleep in the word die synonymously. We shall not all die. Not, of us, not all of us are going to die, but we'll all be changed. Speaking about a glorified body. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible. So Job is wrong. It's not true that when you die, he says, again, he says, now, we learn from 1 Timothy, right? Where it says, or is it 2 Timothy? It, it says that when Jesus came, he brought life and immortality to light. We learn all kinds of things about life. Job didn't have the benefit of that. But, and, and he says, when a man dies, he's not going to rise until the heavens are no more. And I mean, never. But we learn from 1 Corinthians 15 that absolutely is not the case. The dead will be raised incorruptible, verse 52 of chapter 15. And we shall be uh, changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has been put on corruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, death is swallowed up in victory. Meaning, death did not, not have victory over the body. For those who die in Christ, um, they will be, get a glorified body at the time of the rapture. But anyway... Job's not in a good mood and he's being tormented by these guys. Verse 13, Oh, that you, speaking to God, would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, and that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Now, ironically right there, it appears that he, that may be a prophetic utterance of what I was just talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. Like, just let me die, and then after the wrath is, has passed, your wrath has passed, then bring me up again. It, it almost seems like from time to time Job does this. He, he utters like, like these prophetic utterance, utterances. Um, 
Look at verse 14, same thing. If a man dies, shall he live again all the days of my hard service? I will wait till my change comes. It's almost like he knows someday. And it, we're going to see this later where he says, you know, though my flesh will be destroyed, um, th th though my body will be destroyed, in my flesh I will see God. We're going to see that verse later. Um, another verse to memorize from the book of Job. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. So he keeps on sort of going back and forth. Saying, Look, I've done nothing wrong to maybe I did do something wrong. Verse 18, but as a mountain falls and crumbles away and as a rock is moved from its place, as a water wears away stones and as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him as he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. Meaning after you die, your sons may do something great and you're never going to find out. Um, but his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it. So um, he's just filled with, with sorrow here and despondency. He's just taking the wrong direction um, with the Lord. He goes back and forth to, to saying wise things, but then just speaking in his own flesh. Chapter 15, we see another one of these comforters um, of Job. This guy, Eliphaz the Temanite, answered and said, Should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? So he's just accusing Job here of being filled with empty knowledge, like a wind bag, is what he's calling him. Verse 3 Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do? no good. Verse 4, yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God for your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. And so he's saying your mouth is filled with iniquity. Ow. Not friends like these who need enemies. Verse Six, your own mouth condemns you and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born or were you made before the hills? In other words, you know, do you understand all knowledge, Job? You, you, you don't, but you're speaking like that. Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not in us? Verse 10, Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us much older than your father. So I guess a couple of these guys are older than him, and what they're saying is, we're older than you, so we know more than you. And this can be really a great problem in, in, in religious circles that we continue doing something in church just because the people who are around us 
are um, who have been in con- lived longer and have been around longer and been in control longer. Uh, they say, no, this is not the way that you do things. You know, I just told recently about, you know, in my culture, you know, in the context was talking about what should a Christian do. In my culture, when a woman does this, a man just needs to say, Okay, I'm done with you. And I had to tell the person, I went to John chapter 17 where Jesus says, no, the disciples have been taken out of the world. I had to tell the person, listen, you need to choose between culture and the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, that's not what men do. Same thing with children. Been in a number of situations where parents who call themselves Christian parents of adult Christian children, they're telling their adult Christian children to do something that doesn't appear to be at all the, the, the will of God. But in the particular culture, you, you, even in Christian circles, you never disobey your parents. Even I'm talking about adult children now even if it means doing something that really is not in the will of God. But then many churches have been run by people for generations who want to stick with the culture and tradition of the church. And the church the churches just die out because tradition becomes more important than even the Word of God. And we're, we're involved right now in, in, in a church replant where um, pastors really, really being challenged because of that. He's trying to play with traditions which at one time worked fine, but they're not required by the Bible. So you will hear this argument for time to time. Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us much older than your father. You know, they're saying, listen, we have a lot of white hairs, more white hairs than you, Job, and you need to listen to us because you're right. I remember my pastor, Pastor Robert, Calvary Chapel, Miami Beach, I remember when I was there and we were involved, I, I was in, involved in the church plant there right after, right after it got started. And so I remember there was, um, of course, this is like 25 years ago, so uh, a long time ago. But um, we were considering this one person for, for leadership and, and the person was an older person and were in there. 50s or 60s or something like that and and I said well, what about this person and he's like no no I'm not comfortable with them because they're a newer believer but their their white hairs have themselves deceived meaning and this happens a lot when you have an older person come to Christ you know in their 50s or 60s or 70s somehow they think they're white hairs 
make them more wise than younger people who have been walking with the Lord and maturing for many, many years. White hairs can be deceitful. And the same, or, yeah, I remember Robert saying, so we did not choose this person for a leadership position, but I did not understand at the time. It wasn't years later, I'm like, wow, he was really right about that. This really does happen from time to time where someone comes in and they, they think because of their white hair, somehow they know better than everyone who's younger. And that's not always the case, particularly with newer believers. But verse 11, are the consolations of God too small for you and the word spoken gently with you? Why does your heart carry you along and what do your eyes wink at? I'm trying to say at the end of verse 11 that they've been speaking gently with him, and that's hardly the case. Verse 13, then you turn your spirit against God and let your words go out of your mouth. What is man that he could be pure? And who is, who is born of a woman and... He, he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy who drinks iniquity like water. So he's, he apparently in verse 16 uh, is charging Job with um, being abominable and filthy. He's getting personal. And so we have a political season come up and 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 it's almost incon it's almost frightening beyond words what may happen in this political season i mean if this is not a circus i, I that's going on I, i've never seen a circus but this is what happens in politics so often when it just gets personal When he's saying to Job, you are abominable and filthy, it's just name-calling at this point. And that's what um, happens so often in politics when people are scared of not succeeding, scared of a candidate who may win and they don't want to. They just start calling the person names. And um, they just start calling the person names. And uh, it's just... So unchristlike. I tell you, political season really reveals where a person is spiritually, in my opinion. Verse, uh, but it, verse 17 says, I will tell you, hear me, what I have seen. I will declare what wise men have told, not hiding anything received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given and no alien passed among them. The wicked man rise with pain all his days and the number of Years is hidden from the oppressor. And we know that's not true, that the wicked man rise with pain all his days. God loves the wicked. And we talked about the verse last week. It's 6.25. God is kind to the wicked. Dreadful sounds are in his ears and prosperity. The destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness for a sword is waiting for him. So what he's doing here now, he's just basically describing Job without mentioning. He is, he's trying to describe Job 
or trying to communicate to Job, this is you, Job. And he's not using his name, but he's just, just really wanting him to feel really, really bad. He wanders about for bread saying, where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong embossed shield. There's only one possible explanation for your... um, for the place that you're in, Job, and that has got to be you're wicked. Because you're just in so much suffering. But I quoted this last two weeks ago on Sunday morning. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is, tri- which is to try you as though something strange is happening to you. This is part of the human condition, suffering. The righteous man, the righteous have not been promised not have any trials, but they have been promised Jesus in the trial. Verse 27, though he has covered his face with fatness and made his waist heavy with fat, meaning that a rich person. In, in the Bible, fatness, physical fatness, is synonymous with being rich. You were rich, you got to eat a, eat a lot and become fat. So he's basically, um, he, he's trying to describe Job here. It does appear that maybe Job originally <laughs> was, uh, was not a skinny guy, and ate well. Verse 28, he dwells in desolate cities, in houses which no one inhabits, which are destined to become ruins. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor will his possessions overspread the earth. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry out his branches, and by the breath of his mouth he will go away. Let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time and his branch will not be green he will shake off his unripe grape like a vine and cast off his blossom like an olive tree for the company of hypocrites will be barren and fire will consume the tents of bribery they conceive trouble and bring forth futility their womb prepares deceit so just one accusation after another against Job all wrong 